Greetings, and welcome to another edition of the And You Shall Know That I Am Yahweh, an Ezekiel podcast. I'm Ethan, very glad that you've joined us. We uh, hope that you are benefited, and we appreciate the gift of spending time as we continue to explore what God has made known through the prophet Ezekiel. We begin in Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 11. Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire." Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire from out of your, from your midst. It consumed you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. And all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. This concludes the uh, lament and condemnation of Tyre that we see uh, from Ezekiel. All of this is beginning with a time stamp there in chapter uh, 26. It's the 11th year, the first of the month, so somewhere around 587, 586 as Jerusalem is under siege and is about to be destroyed. Um, we have seen the bulk of Ezekiel's message to the Israelites in exile from chapter 1 through chapter 24 have been this uh, judgment and indictment on Jerusalem uh, to explain the devastation and the uh, exile, which they, they have already begun to experience and the rest will experience as well. Uh, the demonstration that any hope and confidence they had that this Exile would be brief, and they would return home quickly, would quickly and soon be dashed. That that was not going to be uh, their fate at all. Now, once the siege of Jerusalem had begun, Ezekiel has now turned to uh, provide these oracles regarding the nations. And we've seen that he has gone through, uh, in very quick fashion in chapter 25, uh, prophecy against Ammon and the Moabites, the Edomites, and the Philistines. And since chapter 26, he has been uh, making this indictment of Tyre um, in the land of the Phoenicians, a group of Canaanites who are prominent as traitors uh, living in the, on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea and very active in the trading network throughout the ancient Near Eastern world. Uh, definitely as far as Spain to the west and southeast to modern-day Yemen, Saudi Arabia. Um, very likely, based on evidence, out into the Atlantic all the way to uh, modern-day England, at least the area of Cornwall, and possibly down into the Indian Ocean as well. And so we see the end of this uh, lament is specifically uh, regarding the king of Tyre. 
And the way that the king of Tyre is described here has caused a lot of speculation and, and interesting conversation because uh, it sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? It sounds like he's talking about somebody else. Uh, he's spoken of as if he was in Eden, uh, the Garden of Eden, um, that he had all these precious stones for covering, and they talk about all these jewels, and they were kind of an anointed guardian cherub looked like there. Uh, but that's part of the challenge. Is that there's there's some textual variance here. Again, as we said, sometimes the text of Ezekiel is choppy, and it's choppy here. And it's uh, some people try to understand it so that the king of Tyre is seen as this guardian cherub. Uh, the English Standard goes there in verse 14 and also in verse 16. And this has led a lot of people to, throughout time, to consider that we're talking here really about Satan. We're talking about the fall of Satan. And um, there may be some comparison with the king of Tyre at all, or that the story of the king of Tyre is being told of in terms of the fall of Satan. And so there's a lot of speculation here, just like with uh, Lucifer in Isaiah chapter uh, 13, 14, uh, the same idea there uh, being expressed. But there's some textual issues there. Uh, the NET translation will look at 14 there as, I placed you there with an anointed guardian cherub, that they were on the mountain of God there, walk amongst fiery stones. And then in verse 16, that it's the guardian cherub that expels you from the midst of the stones of fire, not that he is the guardian cherub. And for the sake of consistency in the text, that really is the better way of looking at this, because what we're seeing here is not that the king of Tyre is being spoken of in terms of Satan, or in terms of a fallen angel, uh, but we're using all of this kind of hyperbolic, comparison to describe the great fall of the king of Tyre because we see him portrayed here in opulent innocent beauty if he was in Eden you know or the garden of God where everything was well and good everything was perfect we see all these beautiful stones that uh, uh, that he is made in and if you ha are attuned with revelation of course all of the stones that will make up the city which is the church the heavenly Jerusalem coming down from heaven in Revelation 21 uh, are mentioned these stones um, and of course there's Edenic language there as well and there was this blamelessness in their ways until unrighteousness was found in you. And the really indictment there is the abundance of your trade. You were filled with violence and you sinned and I cast you as a profane thing down. One of the things that we mentioned when we started talking about Tyre was the special relationship of the Phoenicians with the Judites and Israelites that the, the Phoenicians are Canaanites, and that's what makes this passage very strange. I mean, the Phoenicians are Canaanites. They serve Canaanite gods. Uh, earlier in chapter 20, it would reference to Dan El, which comes from the story of the Tale of Achat, uh, which is a popular Canaanite story that you know shows that the, the Tyrians, the Phoenicians, the, and even Ezekiel are very well aware of the Canaanite mythology, uh, the story of the heroes and their gods. And so we have evidence of the service of the god Melkart, uh, who is kind of like the Melech Molech that we get in the, in the Old Testament and offering children to him, and especially in Carthage, which is a uh, colony of the Phoenicians. 
we see evidence of all kinds of sacrifices of children. Uh, so it's very hard to square this idea of an innocent, pure uh, Phoenicia with the, what we see on the ground. Uh, but we have this special relationship that's different than all the other Canaanites. If you know in the Old Testament, all the other Canaanites were supposed to be expelled by the Israelites. And when you look at that uh, kind of list in Joshua, you would get the impression that would also be true of Tyre and Sidon. But uh, they don't, of course, which is famously the source of all their troubles. But whereas the rest of the Canaanites are seen to be a problem as a kind of inducing into sin, and even with Jezebel leading Ahab into all kinds of trouble, who's the daughter of the king of the Sidonians, um, yet there's this special relationship because the Israelites and Judaites have the one thing the Phoenicians need, which is food, because there's not a lot of arable land to grow food. Uh, in the land of Tyre and Sidon, right up there against the Anti-Lebanon Mountains. And, of course, the Israelites and the Judites are not seafaring people. Yes, they've got that coastland, but they don't travel there very much. And so the Phoenicians provide the connection for all the trade. And, of course, the cedars of Lebanon. So we see this, this, this relationship. We see this uh, uh, mutually beneficial symbiotic relationship going on. And so we see it honored here. And so... Maybe that's what's going on here, is that there's, these people have this great uh, benefit and value. They kind of get a pass other people don't get. There's this innocence there. There's this uh, alliance that they seem to have with Israel and Judah. But there's this sin, this violence. Probably what happened is that they kept getting more and more wealthy because of their trade, and they lost that innocence, and it becomes much worse. And so we have this corruption that is being denounced here and this great humiliation and fall and that's the story of the, the lament of the princes of Tyre in the first ten verses and here it is again in the lament over the king of Tyre that you were this innocent you were with the sheriff you were in Eden but you have defiled yourself and now you are going to be humiliated you are going to be consumed and everybody will be shocked when they see you because you will be uh, brought to a dreadful end. You will no longer exist. Tyre will be rebuilt after Alexander destroys it, but it's never what it was. And, of course, it's now a peninsula after that, no longer an island. And here, even, we can see that it's about the king of Tyre, and yet, in the end, it's also about Tyre. And it's also kind of what we saw last time with the prince of Tyre. It also becomes about Tyre. And so we see this, this deeply lamentable story of distress and collapse. And, of course, it, the whole thing has sat uneasily with historical narrative because we don't see the full end of Tyre the way that you would imagine based on this story. Yes, we will see a majority of its fulfillment when the city is destroyed by Alexander. Um, and maybe that's really something that we should key in on with what's going on here. Because as we said, there's a lot going on here for it just to be about Tyre. There's a lot of condemnation here just to be about one random city of the Phoenicians that's actually going to come out of the age of the Babylonians doing better than it did, than it did when it started, despite the 13-year-long siege. Because once the Babylonians remove the Philistines, they are able to colonize the whole coast. But what we're seeing here is this great transition, perhaps, that's going to happen. And it doesn't happen immediately. But where the great civilizations of the ancient Near East are going to fade, and we're going to see the rise of the West with the Greeks and the Romans. And we're going to see the end of the world. 
And this is a major theme throughout uh, the entire prophecy of Ezekiel, is that the Israelites, the Judahites, all of the people around them, even as we're going to see the Egyptians, and ultimately the Babylonians themselves are going to see the end of their world, where what used to be taken for granted and normal is no longer going to be that way. Uh, you look at the world that Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria inherited in 753, and you have all of these various little kingdoms and fiefdoms that have been around for at least 300 years throughout that whole land to his west and to his southeast. Uh, and then you look at it, and if you go from there to another 300 uh, years, and now you know you get to 453, and all that's left is Persia. Uh, ruling over it all. And within 120 years of that, even Persia is going to fall. And they're all going to be ruled by these foreigners from the West with a very different civilization and different language that's going to provide this influence that's going to completely transform the world of the ancient Near East and launch it into uh, what will eventually become the way it is now. Uh, first with the spread of the pagan Roman religions and Greek religions, and kind of taking all the gods and all the ideas of the Babylonians and the Canaanites and turning them into uh, and talking about them in Greek and Roman terms, then of course the spread of Christianity, and then ultimately many of those places the spread of Islam. And so we see the, the kind of the whole world being in convulsion here. And so what is said of Tyre is going to be true of the entire ancient Near Eastern world. And it's, it's, it's speaking of this great disruption where it's just not going to be the way that it was. And uh, that their judgment is coming. And that's the main theme there that's going to be true of Tyre, but it's true of the whole economic system of the time, true of the whole interconnectedness of the time of all these civilizations. Uh, this is a time of major transition that Ezekiel is heralding. In verse 20, The word of Yahweh came to me, Son of man, set your face against Sidon, and prophesy against her, and say, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will manifest my glory in your midst. And they shall know that I am Yahweh when I execute judgments in her and manifest my holiness in her. For I will send pestilence into her and blood into her streets. And the slain shall fall in her midst by the sword that is against her on every side. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. We have a quick word here against Sidon. Sidon is the sister city of Tyre to its south. Um, that again... Uh, Jezebel comes from Sidon. Um, it's interesting, of course, to compare and contrast. Why does Sidon get this very short message, mostly about pestilence and blood? They're also going to suffer greatly uh, compared to what we just read all about Tyre, which is kind of why we're suggesting that what's being said about Tyre has more to do than just with the Tyrians and kind of is being used as a way of looking at the whole thing, probably because of the work Nebuchadnezzar is going to put into it, and ultimately, of course, uh, what will take place in the days of Alexander of Macedon. In verse 24 through 26, And for the house of Israel there shall be no more a briar to pick or a thorn to hurt them among all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt then they will know that I am the Lord Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered, and manifest my holiness in them, in the sight of the nations, then they shall dwell in their own land that I gave to my servant Jacob, and they shall dwell securely in it, and they shall build houses and plant vineyards. They shall dwell securely when I execute judgments upon all their neighbors who have treated them with contempt. 
then they will know that I am Yahweh their God. What's interesting about this is that when you do the, the, the diversification and all of that, everything that you have in 25, 26, 27, and 28 to verse 23 is equal to all that you're going to have in chapter 29, 30, 31, and 32. That you basically have an equal amount between the prophecy about Ammon and Moab, the Philistines, the Edomites, the Sidonians and the Tyrians, and then the Egyptians. And then right here you have the hinge that combines both of these and kind of explains it all. As we said from the beginning, uh, the nation oracles are about other nations. Maybe somebody in some of those nations would get these messages, but they're never to those people, really. They're to the Israelites, the Israelites, so that the Israelites can see how Yahweh their God is not just their God, but the God of all, and working all of these things to his purposes. And here is this message of encouragement, hope, and restoration, that there was not going to be this briar uh, or, or thorn to hurt them, all of these nations conspiring against them, working against them. Uh, these nations were all going to be destroyed. Uh, that, and then Israel will know that Yahweh indeed is their God. And there's this great message of, of comfort. What we have not seen a lot of in Ezekiel, there's been a couple glimpses of it, especially when there's a message of deep distress uh, to re- reassure the exiles of their standing before God. And here again, that there's this message that there's going to be a gathering of all the house of Israel from where they were scattered. They will dwell on their land. They would again dwell in it. They would build houses. They would dwell securely when these judgments get executed on their neighbors. And this will become a much more prominent theme from ver- chapter 34 and afterward. And kind of presaging that message of hope uh, that in the face of this existential crisis, Israel must turn to serve Yahweh their God. And it's very interesting to see this in light of what will happen in in the time of what we call Second Temple Judaism, when the, is, the Judites do return and rebuild the temple and dwell on that land, that they will dwell on that land and they will be a contrary people. They will dogmatically and doggedly insist on the God Yahweh. The religion that they practice does not look much like the religion practiced in the days of the kings because they are seeking to honor God and to serve God. And while there will be influence from the Greeks, because it's almost impossible for uh, such a wide range of knowledge and not have any kind of filtration into the system, it will be the Jewish people who will most staunchly resist uh, the paganizing, Hellenizing elements that will lead to great conflict and persecution and almost uh, destruction, devastation completely at the hand of the Seleucids under uh, Antiochus IV, Epiphanes. But it will be the Judites and their belief in their God Yahweh who will maintain that belief even when all the nations around them will have been assimilated into the pagan milieu of the Greco-Roman world and eventually uh, be ready to hear the gospel of Christ and for too many uh, to go astray in the ways of Islam. And yet that perseverance there and the belief in God would endure despite all of that difficulty and all of that challenge. And so thus we have the first half of the nation oracles leading us to, we're going to see in the future, conversation about Egypt and all that Egypt has done against the people of God. But we can see that there's going to be this great tempest and all these nations, all the things that Israel in the days of the kings took for granted will be completely destroyed and eliminated. And there will be a completely new world order uh, involving first the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. And the Israelites will have to endure. It will not be as peaceable as they would like to imagine. 
but they will endure so that they can obtain a kingdom that is peaceable, the kingdom promised in Jesus, and the fulfillment of all the hope, uh, of all the promises that are being made here in Ezekiel, will find their fullness in the kingdom that God is establishing in Jesus, and the security that we have in him. We look forward to continuing on with Egypt, and we look forward to that, and may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to do so.